When we pray, thy kingdom come, there are certain questions that need to be asked, like whose is the kingdom? What is the kingdom? Elements to the kingdom? How does it come? We'll answer those questions next here on today's broadcast of Graceful Truth. Join us. Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. This is Graceful Truth. Welcome to the broadcast. We would invite you to join us today as our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse, returns us here to Matthew chapter 6. We're taking a look at the right kind of righteousness in praying. It's the disciples' prayer, God's program. Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13 is where we're at. Please join us for today's broadcast of Graceful Truth now. Once again, Pastor Steve. And you can turn over to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to continue with our study through what we call the Disciples' Prayer. And uh, as Christians, when we pray, the only prayers that really work (laughs) are the prayers that are in accord with God's will in our lives. This passage here in Matthew chapter 6 basically gives us a model for prayer in, in, in verses 9 through 14 there. And that's the intent of this prayer. It wasn't meant to be a prayer that we just recite, recite all the time. It's fine to do that, but it's good to stop and think about what we're saying when we recite it. And so we've been looking at that. And a lot of times when we pray as believers, as Paul says in Romans 8, um, we don't know how to pray as we ought to pray. And so God is here giving us a model that we can take and apply to our prayer lives and say, okay, this is the, the template, you might say, that Jesus is giving us for our, our prayer. And he's trying to help us so that we will understand the way the Lord would have us to pray. And so they're very concise statements in this prayer. Uh, it's not many words, but they have deep, deep, deep meaning as we've looked at. And so let's read the, the Lord's Prayer there, the Disciples' Prayer as we call it, in verse 9, and I'll read it for you and you can follow along in your Bibles. In this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. But we want to focus this morning on this wonderful part of the prayer there in verse 10, your kingdom come. And it's just three simple words in English. It's three simple words in the Greek, but there's a lot of meaning behind those three simple words. And what it does is thy kingdom come really express the one who has the right to rule and the right to uh, reign, you might say. And that person is no other than the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ himself. And God the Father seeks this. So when we pray, this, you're really praying in accord with God's will. Thy kingdom come. In Psalm 2, it says, Yet have I set my king upon the holy hill of Zion. In other words, God says that he is exalting his son, Jesus Christ, to king over all. Uh, the Lord has said unto his son, Thou art my son, this day I have begotten thee. Ask of me, and I will give thee the nations for your inheritance and the uttermost parts of the world for your possession. See, God wants to give the kingdoms of the world to the Son. God desires to set his son, his king, on the holy hill of Zion to reign on the throne of David. And so you remember back in the Old Testament when David wanted to build a temple for the Lord, God said, no, you're a man of blood, you can't do that. (laughs) 
sorry. And so he, he took that away from him, but he gave him a joy and God returned to him the promise in Second Samuel 7 that through your seed, through your, you won't build the house, but through your loins will come a child and of that child shall be built a kingdom which will be an eternal kingdom. It will never end. And so the promise of the kingdom to the king, the son, Jesus Christ, the eternal son, is given in the Old Testament and all over the place. You have several verses there you can look at, but there's even more than that. I just listed a couple there for you. And so, in fact, the whole Old Testament, there is a promise of the coming king, the one who would be born upon whose shoulders would be the government, says Isaiah, uh, the one who would reign and rule and, and have his way here in this earth, a savior, a king, a Messiah. And the very word Messiah means the anointed one of God, the one who has the rightful rule and the rightful reign here. And it's important to understand that because when we're praying, God's idea of prayer, God's program when it comes to prayer is a little different than ours. God's program centers on a person, a single person, that person being the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who will come again, the one who will reign King of kings and Lord of lords. That's who God wants our prayers to focus on. And you stop and you think of even back in the time of Jesus' day, the hope of Israel was that they would have this this reigning Messiah come. Obviously, they overlooked Jesus as the Messiah, and they're still looking for a Messiah, unfortunately. And even is the hope of the church. And back then, even the, the secular people wanted someone to release them from the bondage of the Roman government. So everybody was pointed to some kind of deliverer. And that's when Jesus Christ came on the scene. And Jesus Christ, the king, will ultimately be the apex in all of history. Everything revolves and will revolve around him. Some people say that history is, you've heard this, his story. You know, you stop and you think every time you sign a check, you're basically acknowledging the fact that Christ was born when you date it. Uh, history is, is redemptive, the unfolding of God's plan in the person of Jesus Christ. And it's moving to the point where God will dominate, Christ will dominate all. But that whole plan of God, the whole program of God is centered around that single person, Jesus Christ. And apart from that person, there is no plan of God. And so when we pray, as Jesus says here, thy kingdom come, what that means is, Lord, you reign. You reign. Your reign come, you might say. R-E-I-G-N. Your rule come, is another way to say it. And see, when we're, we're born again, when we're saved, the true child of God concerns himself not so much his own plans and his own you know, purpose and his own dealings in life, but he wants to see the kingdom of God come. He wants to do what God wants him to do. And there's a transi- transition that takes place there in someone's life when they come to Christ. But I think sometimes our own prayers, even as Christians, unfortunately, are nothing more than prayers filled with our kingdom, <laughs> our own plan, our own rule, our reign, our desire, our causes. And then we take them to God and we ask him to put a rubber stamp on it. And what Jesus is saying here, when he says, thy kingdom come, he's saying, you know what? Don't be concerned about your plan. Don't be concerned about your kingdom. Don't be concerned about your wants, your desires. I got those covered. You should be concerned about my kingdom, my rule, my reign. And you can see throughout all of history from the fall in Genesis, when we heard about the seed of the woman who's going to bruise the serpent, serpent's head all the way to the glorification of the Son of God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, all that. It's moving slowly to the consummation of Christ's rule and reign, ultimately. And that's why the Bible clearly, in a lot of different places, says that his cause, his program, his plan should be what we're kind of concerned about. That should be our preoccupation, not our own plan, our own cause, our own purpose, things like that. But I don't know about you, but that kind of flies 
in the face of my human nature. You know, whenever you got to give up something and do what somebody else wants to do instead of yourself, you know, that doesn't come easy. Because our human nature basically says, no, I want my way. I want what's important to me. I mean, have you ever just sat down and criticized your own prayer life? How much of our prayer life is concerned about ourselves? A lot of it. A lot of times that's what we think about. We go to God when we have need. We go to God when we're in a trouble or we go to God when, you know, we want something or whatever. And it's always focused around us. And that's basically the default nature that we have. It's always going to be about us. Sometimes we just rush into God's presence and we unload our wheelbarrow of needs and wants and then we hightail it out of there. See, and God is saying prayer is much more than that. I want you to commune with me. I want you to spend time with me. You know, nobody likes a child who comes up and says, hey, dad, can I have the car keys? Yeah, bye, see you later. <laughs> no thanks, no nothing. Just give me the keys, I'm out of here. And I guess it's always been that way with the human nature because we have a bent toward self. We're a very selfish people because of our sinful nature. And if you fail to understand that, all you have to do is look at a a life of a baby. From the time they come out of the womb, from the time they come out of the womb, a baby screams and cries and they don't care about anything but themselves. That's it. They have no concern that mom's been up almost 24 hours trying to deal with things or whatever. When they're hungry, they're hungry. You can't go into a baby's nursery and say, oh, you know what, I'm a little busy right now. I'm doing the dishes, but I'll be back in 10 minutes, okay? And walk away. The baby's not going to say, okay, mom, got you, and stop crying. No, the baby's going to cry louder. Well, you know, most babies understand one thing. It's me, 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 I want, I want, I want. They don't care about anything else. And see, and that's the basic nature that we all have. And even when we get older, when you get in your teenage years, when you get in junior high and high school, you know, basically, our, our, our children are told that, hey, they're the king of their own castle and they're determining their own destiny and, and they're the master of their own fate and all this stuff. This secular humanism gets pumped into their head and pretty soon everything is centered around them. It doesn't matter about anybody else. And we live in a very selfish society. So when we come to the point where Jesus says, your kingdom come, thy kingdom come, that's a big step. But when God invades a life, when God shows someone that they're ultimately a sinner in need of God's grace and they bow at the foot of the cross and say, Jesus, be merciful to me, a sinner, save me. And God does that. He invades their life and all of a sudden the command of the word of God is, is what you want to pray. It isn't me anymore. It isn't what is about myself. It's, it's, it's more, God, I want your will done in my life. I want your name to be hollowed in my life, set apart. I want your will to be done. I want your kingdom to come. But that goes against the grain of our human nature. That's never easy. And when you see on TV these television preachers that basically say just the opposite, that you can go to God and demand things, name it and claim it, and affirm certain things, and, you know, I speak money into my wallet in Jesus' name, and it's just supposed to magically appear there. I mean, that's just crazy. That's totally against what God has laid out for us in Scripture. The one person that that God is concerned with as far as his will being done, and everything centers around, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you genuinely come to Christ and you confess Jesus as Lord and King of your life, that's what salvation is. It's nothing less than that. You can't come to Jesus just as your Savior. I remember in my school, there was a professor that taught, well, you can come to Jesus as your Savior, and then you can make him Lord of your life a little later on. I don't think so. That's not what the Scriptures say. The Scripture says that Jesus is Lord, and we acknowledge that Lordship, and that's the only way to come to Christ for salvation. You can't say, well, I want the salvation thing, but I'm not going to do anything you say, Lord, sorry. It doesn't work that way. And that's a very important point because there's a lot of people in our our, our churches today that are, you know, kind of sitting there 
almost ignorant of the fact that they're lost because they feel they've walked an hour or they raised a hand or they did something in their life somewhere to acknowledge that, yeah, yeah, I believe in God. And then everybody says, oh, now you're a Christian, now you're a Christian, now you're a Christian. And there's no change in their life. They don't have any desire to pray. They don't have any desire to read the Bible. They don't have any desire to fellowship with people. They don't have any desire to come to church. They don't have any desire to serve God. But they hold on to the one point in their life where they raised a hand or they walked down an aisle or they did something through a stick and a fire or something that signified a commitment to Christ. And see, salvation is so much more than those things. In the day and age we live in today, churches want to take the gospel message, which is a rather limited and narrow view of salvation. God doesn't say there's many ways to God. He says, there's one way through my son, Jesus Christ. The road is narrow that leads to life, broad that leads to destruction. And see, we need to acknowledge that. We can buy into that really quickly when we're out there evangelizing and we're out there sharing with with unbelievers the the message of the gospel and we're always tempted to kind of just bring it down, bring the gospel message down, lower the commitment just so we can close the deal. And so then we have somebody saying that they're a Christian when in fact nothing's been done in their heart and we're really leading people down a road of deception and ultimate damnation in hell. And so when we pray, thy kingdom come, we really are affirming that, you know what? I want to relinquish control of my own life. It's not about me anymore, to God. It's about what you want in me. It's about filling me with your spirit, you taking control of me and, and allowing me to do what you want me to do, whatever it is. So you can't put God in a box. You can't say, well, I'll do anything but this. I remember in school, college, after I became a Christian, I was going to Bible college, and, and I'm thinking, God, I'll do anything, but you know, I, I, this Africa missions thing, is mosquitoes, all that stuff, I'm not into that. You know, and I was, I was putting God in this box. I'll do anything, Lord, but this. And finally, one of the professors had a time in chapel, and he talked about that very thing. And, and it wasn't until I finally said, God, I'll do anything. I don't care. It may even be going to Africa, whatever. That's fine. If that's what you want me to do, I'm sure I'll be fine with it. And when I began to understand the sovereignty of God in my life, I began to relinquish control of my life, and then I could relax and say, okay, every day's a party with God almost. You wake up, and it's like, God, I don't know what's going to happen today, but I know you do, and I don't know where I'm going to serve you, but you do. I remember after I graduated, you were supposed to, the year of my graduation, you were supposed to do an internship somewhere, and I had the slightest idea what I was doing. I mean, I just went to school. I was a brand-new Christian. I was just trying to get a grasp of what God's Word said, the basics of it. What do I do? I don't know what to do. I didn't go to school to be a youth pastor. I didn't go to school to be a pastor. I I just went to school because I thought, well, I'm a Christian and I want to know more about God and his word. And I feel God's calling me into ministry somehow, but I don't know why. And I remember kind of panicking, thinking, what do I do? And finally, I went up to the board there at the school in the hallway and it had opportunities. And there was a church, Fairhaven's Baptist Church, over in Spring Valley, California, about 20 minutes away from the school. And they were looking for somebody to teach Sunday school. Never dealt with kids before, I mean, other than, you know, nephews and nieces kind of thing. I didn't have a burning heart, my desire to be a youth pastor, nothing. And I remember going over there and talking to Pastor Jerry Jack was his name, and he was a real nice guy, and we kind of hit it off, and, and he goes, well, yeah, the, we're, we haven't had anybody, uh, you know, apply yet, so if you're willing to take us on, you know, we could work through you through the semester and see how it goes, and I said, okay, whatever. What do I do? Well, we'll, we'll, we'll give you all the details on Sunday. I'm like, okay. He goes, you'll be teaching a high school class. I said, okay, that's fine. So I, I'm thinking I'm going to get there Sunday and somebody else is going to be teaching the class. I'm going to sit there for a couple of weeks and get to know the kids. Uh-uh. Okay, kind of a small church. I walk in. They're like, yeah, here's the book. They're downstairs. <laughs> room B. I'm like, who's downstairs? What room? How do you get downstairs? I mean, I didn't know anything. And I remember walking into the class and three of the kids were the pastor's kids. And, and it was just crazy. 
I mean, you know, I opened up the thing to the date, and I'm like, oh, some Old Testament thing we we're supposed to teach on. And, you know, I'm just reading the stuff out of the, the book. That's the first time I saw it. And I just remember thinking, boy, I don't know about this. But I remember through that process, I had to literally give up what I had in mind for ministry. I didn't have anything in mind. And then slowly God just kind of worked in my heart and tugged on my heart and said, you know, you can have influence in these kids' lives. I started to get plugged in and we started a youth group. And, you know, it's just one thing after the other. But I always found myself satisfied where I was at, where I was serving. And God always seemed to bless that in some way. And I was never, you know, I'm not the kind of guy to look down the road and bigger and better. I just, that's not in my nature. I just thought, you know what, if God has me here, that's fine. If God moves me on, hey, that's fine. Whatever, God, whatever you want. And see, that, that really gives you a peace in your life when you can get to that point, you know, and you, you, I have to be reminded of that because our default is, no, I want my way. <laughs> I want to do what I want to do. And see, that immediate confrontation when you pray, thy kingdom come, immediately you, you begin to realize, whoa, there is an enemy and there is somebody out there who, who wants to kind of dissuade you from following the way that Christ has laid out for you. And it's in our society, it's everywhere. We've lost the preoccupation with the things of God. We're so preoccupied with this life and, and what's in this world. I mean, even within the church. You know, you've got a big election coming up in the fall and, and everybody's talking. You know what? Whoever's going to be the president is going to be the president. God has that already planned out, beloved. I'm not saying you don't get involved. You don't exercise your right to vote. Hopefully you vote for a biblical candidate and you feel good with that or you prayed about it, whatever. It doesn't matter what party they're from as long as they hopefully line up with the principles in God's word. And sometimes it's kind of hard to find those kind of people. But you know what? God has given us the right to vote in our country and we should exercise that. But let us not think that by doing that, that somehow we're going to save America. See, the problem is, is that we got lots of problems in our country today. Got the problem over in Iraq. You got problems in our own country dealing with economics and politic, politics and the education thing. All this humanism of, our, of, our, of the world is creeping in and the morality of everything is just going down, down, down. You have all sorts of deviancy out there and, and it's almost exalted. I was on a plane from Phoenix, Arizona to Las Vegas and you think that this, this plane was the party plane. I mean, these people were going there, obviously it was on Friday, so they were going there for the weekend apart. And I mean, just boldly talking about things in the plane that, I mean, I was turning red just because I thought, I can't believe they're saying these things. And they weren't, they weren't concerned about it. They really didn't care. And that's where the morality in our country has coming to. And people say, well, is it going to get worse? Yeah, it is. I mean, there may come a time when, you know what, you come up to preach a, a, a sermon against homosexuality, you could be arrested. That could happen. So are we going to not do that? Or are we going to fulfill God's calling on our life and continue to preach the truth of God and let the consequences be what the consequences are? You end up in jail, you end up in jail. And I don't think that's too far out. Classifying it as hate speech. See, people say, well, aren't you concerned about the country? Aren't you concerned about where it's going and all this? Obviously, I mean, I love the United States of America. It's a wonderful place to live. And I totally enjoy and, and a patriot and all that stuff, the freedom that we have here. But you know what? It's not about America. It's about God's kingdom. See, and, and the problem is, is the church has bought into, well, it's all about this, this social program that we got to change. Proverbs 14.37 says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. You know, that's built into every country, to every nation, that promise there. And we can see how when we rapidly abandon the things of God, how society just takes a nosedive. America is not the issue. The issue is the kingdom of God. 
the kingdom of Christ, his cause. If that's our concern, then you know what? Whatever touches that concern, that's great, but we don't need to be overly concerned about things that we cannot control. And one day, this nation too, unfortunately, will fall. I mean, we can't believe that now, but that's what's going to happen. You know, there's certain things that people can take away from you, but there's other things that they can't. They can take away your freedom. You can be put in jail, as in some countries. You're a Christian, you're persecuted, you're put in jail. Some pastors are arrested. You know, they can take the car, the house, all the little trinkets we have, whatever it is. But you know what? They can never take the love that I have for my wife and her love for me. They can never take the love that I have for my children or their love for me. They can never take the love that I have for God's people or their love for me. They can never touch my friendships with people. They can never touch Christ in my life. They can never touch anything in the kingdom. So why are we so preoccupied about things that they can't touch? That's why we don't want to get sidetracked on the things of this world. Because as Christians, we should be in the business of being committed to the kingdom. And the kingdom will go on. The Bible says the gates of hell will never prevail against it. Nations will come and go, including America, if Jesus tarries. But the issue is his kingdom, not our country. doesn't mean we don't pray for our leaders. We should pray that God works in their lives and that they do the things that God wants them to do. We're commanded to do so doesn't mean we just sit back and give up on everything. I'm not saying that. But he's told us over and over again that he wants his kingdom to be established. Back in verse 5, he says, Don't pray like the hypocrites do, who love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. He says, Don't pray to get your own gain. You know, that's not what it's about. And we looked at that. We looked at at the fatherhood of God and and what that means to have a father who we can call Abba Father. But right after that, last week, we looked at the priority of God and it says, hallowed be thy name. It means that God's name is all that he is. And to hallow his name means to set it apart in our lives, to glorify it, to honor it. And we gave you four ways last week how you can do that. You can believe that he is. You can believe who he is. You can be committed to his presence in your life. And you can also obey his word. And that's what God tells us. That's what Jesus tells us here in this prayer. Our Father, hallowed in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then we come to the third part here. Your kingdom come. You know, in in the Jewish commentary known as the Talmud, which is basically a commentary on God's word, God's law, it says this, that prayer in which there is no mention of the kingdom of God is no prayer at all. Prayer in which there's no mention of the kingdom of God, there's no prayer at all. See, the kingdom is the heart of the matter here. The kingdom is that for which God has focused history around. He wants to rule, he wants to reign, that he may be supreme. And it's he that should come first in our prayer. Before we go into his presence, just blurting out whatever we need. We don't even stop to consider what his cause may be, or what his kingdom is, what his will is. It's hard to do that because of, like I said, we get sidetracked. Because Satan is not just idly sitting by. He's actively working, trying to get us focused on the things of this world over and over and over. And you look at the progression here. First, you, you acknowledge his name. Hallowed be your name. In my life, Lord, let your name be holy. And then he says, your kingdom come. And then your will be done. See, there's a progression there. God's will is not going to be done in your life if you're not setting apart his name in your life. If you're not willing to say, your kingdom come. Your reign be done. Your rule in my life be done. Well, it's our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. We trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up through grade 5. 
If you'd like to encourage us here at the Graceful Truth Program, we'd love to hear from you. Please give us a call at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City, 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. Or you can visit us on the web at gracefultruth.org and drop us an email when you do. We have a lot of other information about us and who we are and what we believe there as well. Again, that's gracefultruth.org. Our address, if you'd like to visit or write to us, 2225 Euclid, Redwood City, California. The zip code is 94061. Well, as we close out our time together today, we do so with one final word from our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse. Steve? Thanks, Andy. I'd like to take a few moments to thank our Graceful Truth listening audience as we'll be completing our first year of broadcasting this coming December here on KFAX. Graceful Truth is sponsored by and originates from the pulpit teaching ministry of Grace Bible Church located in Redwood City, where it's been my pleasure and delight to serve as pastor and teacher for the past 12 years. It's our desire to reveal the grace of God through the teaching of his word each week so that the body of Christ may be edified and built up and encouraged in their faith and that people in the Bay Area will hear and respond to the hope and the life-changing message of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's hard to believe, isn't it, that almost a whole year has flown by and we now find ourselves in the month of November, a month filled with Thanksgiving celebration. I'd like to encourage you as listeners to let us know this month if this ministry has been a blessing and encouragement to you in your Christian walk. Won't you please take time to give us a call or send us an email or a letter in the mail to share with us how this program has been a blessing to you. Thanks again for listening, and may you and your family have a blessed and Christ-centered Thanksgiving season. Thank you, Steve. And friend, thank you for joining us here today on Graceful Truth. Until next week, God bless. God bless.